Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are into our third season now, and we remain just as excited as day one to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on waters, urban waters and waterways, and oceans. So I have to wonder, even though you may be here in landlocked North Texas along with me or elsewhere, that is not anywhere near an ocean. Have you realized yet just how important to your life, your health, and the quality of our lives the oceans are? Well, oceans cover three quarters of the Earth's surface. They contain 97% of the Earth's water and represent 99% of the living space on the planet by volume. Some call them the blue planet. Over 3 billion people depend on marine and coastal biodiversity for their livelihoods, and oceans as well absorb about 30% of the carbon dioxide that's produced by humans, therefore buffering the impacts of global warming. So covering this much of the Earth's surface, we know that it has to be vast and powerful. It is central to the life of everyone on the planet, supplying more than half of the world's oxygen, providing food and recreation, and supporting economic vitality. Yet, for all the seeming invincibility of this planet we call the blue planet, our oceans, the ocean has never been more in danger and at threat. Its very chemistry is changing. Its inhabitants are under assault. Now, in this new series that we start this month, We focus on the connection between the health of the ocean and the health of the planet and what that means for the well-being of all of us. The ocean can also affect our health in many, many ways. They contain many types of tiny microscopic organisms, some of which produce poisons when conditions are right, and eating the contaminated seafood may cause serious illness, harmful Algae blooms are unsafe to touch or swallow, and they can produce airborne toxins that cause health problems when inhaled. And then worldwide, more than 250 million clinical cases of gastroenteritis and respiratory disease have been linked annually to swimming in contaminated seas and and areas. Now, lest we not forget to briefly mention the plastic pollution, which the nexus of oceans and plastics is usually central whenever there's a conversation about plastic pollution. In fact, around 8 million tons of garbage are dumped into the ocean every day, and 80% of marine pollution does indeed come from the land. 
And then there's climate change. This can add to and intensify some of these health risks. For example, climate change-related severe weather events, such as hurricanes, can stir up sediment and alter the makeup of the man-made pollutants to which many of our coastal areas are exposed, like Houston, when we had the last big hurricane and flood, it, it just put oil and all kinds of nasty things all over the city. Now, there is hope, though, and we see the importance of ocean health and human health by way of our National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. Since 2004, they and the National Science Foundation have been funding research on marine-related health including effects of eating seafood uh, contaminated with toxins. And they also explore how climate change might affect the formation and the transfer of mercury to fish and shellfish that humans eat that we all hear about a lot every day. But despite all of this, the ocean is home to the greatest diversity of major plant, animal, and microbial groups on Earth. And so we have to be concerned about it. Changing the way that we treat our oceans, it's not just about the, the, the sea creatures and the things that live there. It's also about people and the people who depend upon them. Now, this is a lot. But here today to help us understand how this impacts and intersects with our health and our everyday life are Dr. Annika Zerlinga, and she is with the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences that we mentioned earlier and Dr. Michelle Titchler. Michelle is with Stanford University, and they're going to help us really try to unpack and understand this more. Now, Annika is a PhD, and she is a scientific program officer at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health. Now, Annika serves, as I mentioned, as program officer, but she's director for the Oceans and Human Health Program. She works with centers uh, who conduct studies to that characterize both the natural and the human marine exposures. They assess the health effects and determine how climate change can exacerbate exposure or toxicity. Annika received her PhD in toxicology from the University of Arizona in Tucson. Welcome, Annika. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. And our other guest is Michelle Tichilar. Is that correct pronunciation? No, it's pronounced Tichilar. Michelle is with Stanford University, as we mentioned. She is a research scientist there at the Stanford Center for Ocean Solutions, where she coordinates the Oceans and Future of Food Initiative. Uh, Michelle has a PhD in oceanography from the University of Hawaii. And prior to coming to Stanford, she was a research associate at the University of Washington, studying the impacts of warming climates on crop yields, agricultural workers, and pests. Michelle has extensive experience in science communication, acting as a science communication fellow with the Pacific Science Center. Welcome, Michelle. Did I get all of that right except the pronunciation of your last name? You did. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Thank both of y'all. We are glad that you could make time for us. So we want to start out, and I want to start with you, Michelle, in helping our listeners understand just what are some of the environmental benefits or services, as you scientists call it, what are some of those environmental services that the oceans provide for our planet? Sure. So you mentioned already a lot of them, Bernice, in your introduction, including that they 
that our oceans produce like 50% of our global ocean, uh, global oxygen. So they're really quite essential just for the air we breathe. But I really like to think of our oceans as sort of a global regulator for our climate. Uh, as you mentioned, they're really big, they're really deep. So there's a lot of things that can be stored in the ocean. And one of the things that they store is carbon dioxide, as you mentioned. And so they've taken up about a third of the CO2 that we've emitted over the last 150, 200 years. Um, but they're also really good at absorbing heat and then moving it around the planet. So our, in that sense, our oceans are really important for determining what our climate system looks like and how warm it is where in the world. So without our oceans, it would be really warm in the tropics and really cold in our high latitudes towards the poles. But what our oceans do is they help move that, that heat around. So the Gulf Stream that passes right by Texas really helps to move some of that heat from where all of the sunshine lands to, for instance, Europe, where as a result, it's not quite as cold as it otherwise would be. But that whole whole ocean is warming right around along with the climate, right? That's true, but it's, it's uh, warming more slowly than our land is. So the ocean is also really helping absorb a lot of the heat that um, is put into the climate system as a result of, um, of carbon, carbon dioxide emissions. So it's helping slow down the rate of climate change. And really what you said, too, is it takes in the bad, and I guess it filters it, and it gives out the good. It takes in the CO2 uh, and the heat that are excessive on Earth and it gives back oxygen for us to use. That's right. It, it, how do we know, where, where is it manifest that the, the oxygen is just in the atmosphere or is it doing something else in terms of the oxygen? Well, Monica might know, know this better than I do, but our oceans are really full of life. Lots of really tiny creatures that are right in the surface layer of the ocean, uh, photosynthesizing like little plants. Okay. So they, they really work like the plants in, in our homes that take up uh, CO2 and put out oxygen as a result of um, photosynthesis. I got it. It's kind of a circular thing. Like when you learn where the, 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 the water goes up, the rain comes down through that whole climatological system. Yeah, and we breathe in oxygen and out CO2, and then the plants in the ocean, they breathe in or they use up CO2 and breathe out oxygen. Oxygen, just like the plants do. I got it. Okay, I, I wanted to make sure everybody understood that. I know the ocean is, e even though it's the blue planet, almost a whole other planet of itself, it is... Um, Dare I say, underappreciated. Annika, so what are some of the health benefits? We've talked about some of them. What are some of the other health benefits that the ocean can provide? Well, there are some fairly measurable health benefits, including the many pharmaceuticals or herbal supplements that are derived from or directly synthesized to mimic natural products that you find in the ocean. Um, for example, there have been drugs developed with anti-inflammatory properties, antibacterial, oh, that is viral activity. I am going to have to stop you for a moment so we can go to break, okay. but that is very interesting, and I want to start right there about some of these drugs developed from the ocean that we didn't know about. We want okay. to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, 
offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at LynnDentalCare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on water, oceans, and waterways. And today we're talking about the problems with our ocean. We are here with Dr. Annika Gerlinger with the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, and we are here with Dr. Michelle T. with Stanford University, and she is a research scientist in their Ocean Solutions Department, and we are just so happy that these two ladies could come and help us explore and understand this some more. And right before the break, Annika was just beginning to tell us about some of the health benefits of the ocean, and she particularly mentioned drugs that we need or use that are a result of ocean life. Yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting that, that over the years, there are marine plants that have been able to be kind of studied and mined in a way uh, to understand or use some anti-inflammatory properties, antibacterial and antiviral activities, um, and even leading to the development of some drugs that might be effective against cancer. Additionally, we learn a lot of other things from the biodiversity of marine environments. Marine ecosystems have a diverse array of plant and animal species with genetics or regulatory systems in their biology that we can use as models to learn about our own biology. For example, there's uh, an investigator, Amro Hamdun, um, and trainee Catherine Schrenkel at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, who are using sea urchin embryos as a model system to understand how transport of proteins have evolved um, and what the impact might be of chemical pollutants on the function of these proteins. And how does that affect the human body? Yes. So um, your transport of proteins actually regulate what gets in and out of certain organs in your body. So when when looking at it from a developmental standpoint, you can really understand what a developing embryo might be exposed to. Okay. Carrying something or introducing something new into the embryo. Any other, though, significant ways in terms of health benefits of the ocean provides us? Yeah. Another, another research example um, is that even though there are a lot, I gave a few examples mm-hmm. of mining the marine environment for drugs or natural products that have pharmaceutical capabilities, there are actually toxins that are produced naturally in the ocean. Um, in fact, there are toxins produced in the ocean that mimic or at least resemble polybrom or are there are polybrominated diphenyl ethers or PBDEs, um, which you may recognize as being flame retardants of a man-made variety, but are also naturally produced um, in the marine environment. And so there are also researchers kind of looking at the sources of those natural PBDEs to understand how they might be also broken down. So not only produced in the marine environment, but broken down. And this might perhaps lend insight into how we could break down some of these man-made PBDEs. So that's another thing that I find interesting and 
Some of that is work um, that's being done by Professor Bradley Moore at the University of California at San Diego. Interesting, interesting. So I, I guess, are there any specific medications that people might know about or recognize the names that maybe we get as a result of some research or for some plant or some other element or material that our, our blue planet produces? Uh, yeah, so one example is selenosporamide A, which is a proteasome inhibitor that's currently, um, I think, still in clinical trials um, for um, cancer. So that's kind of, that's one example. <laughs> so it's like it's, in, it's when you say clinical trials, hopefully that's the end of In other words, it may turn out to be something that is very common in cancer use soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> they use plants from the ocean. Is that the case? It really kind of depends. So um, in some instances, natural products might be isolated and kind of studied down into, well, they're always isolated. And then you kind of drill down to find what the efficacious chemical is. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and you can either use it in its isolated form, or you can kind of take that back and use organic chemistry techniques to make a synthetic version to make of a that. Synthetic. Yeah, and then it undergoes extensive, you know, testing to see which variety of that chemical might be the most efficacious. I was going to ask, though, wouldn't it be better, though, if, if they could use the one that was grown naturally in the sea and then just, you know, be self-generating and natural? Potentially. Sometimes you can actually create a derivative that is more efficacious and a stronger healing power, if you will. Um, okay. It really kind of depends. Yeah, it's hard to know, but um, I got there's, it. There's a lot of extensive testing that goes into this, and it's, it's really interesting to see when you do have those examples that you can definitely tie back to. It is. Product. It gives a great appreciation for the ocean. Michelle, could you talk to us uh, about though the connection between our oceans and climate change? Is it okay to add a little bit more on the health and ocean? Please. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So all the things that Anika shared are so fascinating, and it's really cool that so many of us come to the ocean for different things. I think one important health contribution that our oceans also make is that they're just a really important source of food and nutrition for billions of people around the world. And not only just protein, but fish and shellfish and seaweed are actually really important source of micronutrients and essential fatty acids, like omega-3 fatty acids we can almost exclusively get from fish and shellfish and not from other types of foods. And these are just really important for cognitive development and brain health. So in that sense, it's, it's also really important to keep our oceans healthy and thriving for all of the food that they supply. And then I would say that there is a lot of emergent research right now around the important sort of mental health contributions that oceans and oceanscapes make. Um, I've seen or heard some really interesting stories about organizations using surf therapy. So they take people who've been traumatized or just have not really had opportunity to be in close touch with nature, and they take them out on surf lessons and just the connection with the ocean ends up being a really important healing power. And I just from personal story, I'm really lucky to live in San Francisco, so very close to the ocean. And I remember um, during the pandemic when things were extremely stressful, I would just take my bike and ride to the ocean and dip my toes in the water and just really, you know, made, made my day. So I think many people have really important cultural or spiritual or other sort of wellness connections with the oceans that are really hard to put a dollar sign on perhaps, but I think really irreplaceable. 
It, it does. It's nature. You know, I've done some shows in the past when we we're looking at nature and forests and things. And I know we had one uh, doctor on who gave prescriptions for nature therapy. So we, we may have to move to the, new, the next front being ocean or waterway therapy. I love that. Now, um, can you talk to us a little bit about that connection between oceans and climate change? Yes. And I think we already talked a little bit about the ways in which the oceans help regulate the climate. And they, in that way, play a really important role in sort of moderating a little bit the, the extremes of climate change. So the oceans warm more slowly than land. They take up a lot of carbon dioxide. So in that sense, they put a little bit of brakes on climate change. Mm -hmm. But oceans are also really impacted by a changing climate. So we do see the oceans warming. There's more uh, heat waves in the oceans. And then, of course, uh, because of melting ice caps um, and glaciers, as well as seawater expanding, we see that sea level is rising around the globe. And then warmer oceans also means uh, stronger storms. And, and for those of your listeners who are in Texas near the Gulf Coast, I bet that this is really on people's minds, this combination of stronger storms and rising sea levels. Um, Indeed. Michelle, if you could do something for listeners, though, connect the dots between weather and oceans. Okay, so the really exciting and challenging thing is about climate is that things are all connected, right? So, mm -hmm. so our oceans and our atmosphere they interact with each other, and and weather is a really uh, hurricanes are a really great example of that in the sense that they are a weather feature that really feeds on the ocean. So, if oceans are warm enough, it causes a lot of really humid air to rise, and that is ultimately what forms the storms that are hurricanes. And okay. certain atmospheric conditions need to be in place in order for that to happen. And you said that, and that is if the oceans are sufficiently warm. Yeah, but also and the air needs to not be moving around too much right. because the system really needs to, to allow to grow. And conditions like that happen very often. In and, we know, like, and we know yeah. that the world and us are helping the oceans to get warm, so th that part of the equation has to help, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so, more. <laughs> so the, the storms, we might see more frequent storms, but also because warmer air can hold more water, it just means that there is more rain that is coming out of these hurricane events. So I think in the last couple of years, you have some quite big flooding events in Texas, and, and climate change has really contributed to that. It's like a, a circular thing, but I, I, I wanted to make sure that we really made that really clear, how the ocean causes the hurricanes, and then we see on the other side of that how the, warm, the warmth of the ocean is part of that equation, i.e. climate change, global warming, and a lot of that has to do with what we do. I, I dare say most people don't just think about that every day as they're eating breakfast. But it's, <laughs> it's just not. But it's still so very critically important. We want to continue this more and begin to really jump into the problems facing uh, our ocean on the other side of the break. We have been with two experts who are really making us smart about this very important and often overlooked and underappreciated issue with our, our oceans and how it affects our health and our well-being. We've been with Onager Gerlinger with the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, and we have been with Dr. Michelle T. from Stanford University Center for Ocean Solutions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on waters, 
urban waters and waterways and oceans. And today we're looking specifically at the problems with our ocean. And we are with two very smart ladies who are making us all very smart. And, and we spent most of the show up until now really establishing, unpacking and exploring how the oceans really affect all of us and our health, even though we could be miles away. And so that's been very beneficial. Now we want to turn to looking at what the problems with our oceans and the problems facing our oceans are now that we unequivocally know that they are critical to our lives and our well-being. So we'll start with Annika from, in terms of the work you all do at the National Institute of uh, Environmental Health Sciences and the, the, the research that you all are involved in. What, are you, what will you say are the, the, the major problems? So for our perspective, um, the major problems that we're studying are to do with human health concerns. There are a few major categories at the forefront of our research when considering ocean-derived impacts on human health. There are exposure considerations, including anthropogenic pollutants, or that's pollution derived from human activity. Um, this includes plastic pollution that you brought up in your introduction, um, other chemical contaminants, metals, and agricultural runoff. Other exposures are natural exposures, including toxins from those harmful algal blooms or waterborne pathogens. And another category is, which we've talked about a couple times, is extreme weather events that occur along the coast, like the hurricanes and flooding. So as I think it's been brought up already, that can kind of stir up the sediment in coastal areas and kind of change the gradient of these pollutants or toxins that humans can be exposed to. And it might also bring in mold or fungal exposures that were um, unprecedented in that area. And so all of these exposures and events I just mentioned are actually impacted in some way um, by climate change and then thus impacting human health in new ways. And then there's also the consideration of population level concerns. So of course, those that live along the coastal areas are impacted most directly by these exposures and events and not in isolation from each other. So there are populations that will be exposed to these natural toxins and also need to weather hurricanes. And exposures might impact more than their health. It may impact their livelihood or economic stability. And so, you know, Michelle mentioned the, the mental health benefit of the oceans, um, and now you have some mental health concerns of some of the impacts um, on human health from the oceans and human well-being. So at the population level, we have all of these concerns um, on an individual level and then also um, community resilience. And so that's um, kind of the summary of some of the things we're thinking about for human health. Indeed. Now, Michelle, can we get you to weigh in on, on what you look at or been involved with as, as seeing as the top problems with our oceans? Yeah, I think Annika already touched on a lot of them. You know, we like to think that climate change is really this global thing affecting the, the oceans globally, but then we have these really regional pollution air issues that really connect land and sea, right? Like what we do in terms of agriculture or in our urban environments, it all runs off into the ocean and causes a lot of pollution and issues with our ecosystems there. But one other thing that I'd like to highlight um, is from my very smart colleagues at Center for Ocean Solutions who are, they're not necessarily nat natural scientists, but more social scientists. So they like to think about governance and how we how we regulate or, or steer environments. And oceans are really challenging there because they're so big. 
And so it's really difficult to police or to clean or to control uh, or to even observe all that's going going on out there. So um, one of the major challenges we see in sort of safeguarding or stewarding our oceans is um, how do we regulate uh, fishing? And there's a lot of illegal and um, unreported fishing that happens out in the open oceans. Um, we also know that in, in some fishery supply chains, there is some, some big issues around um, or in labor abuse, for instance, because we just don't, it's really difficult to keep track of what is happening on ships. Michelle, let me ask yeah. you this. You just mentioned overfishing, and I've heard that and seen that term around as we've done research. But, you know, most of us think, including me, <laughs> that fish are so abundant and they're just generating more and more. How are you defining how does overfishing look? Yeah, so... I should double check the statistics, but I believe about 30% or so of fish stocks are, are considered to be overfished. But it's really, it depends really on which kinds of fish and where in the world we're talking about. So like tuna is a, is a species that we often think about when in the context of overfishing because tuna really sit at the top of our food chains. So they, there's not that many of them and people really like to pay a lot of money for them. So there's a lot of competition to fish as many as possible. But then things like sardines and anchovies, they're really towards the bottom of our food webs. And so they grow really fast. There's really very many of them. And so that is a species that can be really fished more sustainably and that we can really think of more as a, as a replenishing resource as opposed to these some of these stocks that have just been aggressively fished for a long and time. And overfish means there's not enough of them. They're not they're not regenerating as fast as we are taking them out of. The exactly. Ocean. So you want like young fish to go ahead and make you want enough fish left so that they can mm -hmm. have babies and have more fish for the next new year. But if you keep fishing them, there's not going to be enough left for the for the next generation to appear. And we are seeing this. So I guess what happens is, how do you know when something's overfished, when people go out there to fish to get some tuna and there's not any? Yeah, that, so I should say this is not quite my area of expertise, but there's really smart fishery scientists who are trying to figure it out exactly this, because you can also, you can't just like stick a camera in the water and keep counting all the fish to, to be like, okay, now is when we should stop fishing. So I think... Um, people try to come up with smart ways of measuring what is out there and then sort of modeling how many they can take. Okay, and, that, and thank you for explaining uh, that to us, Michelle. Uh, another thing that I keep, I hear thrown around a lot that I think most of us have a misunderstanding about or just not enough information about is acidification, ocean acidification. What is that? And what does it mean to us and how does it affect us? Um, ocean acidification is maybe a long word of saying that our oceans are getting more acidic. And this is, a, this is really just chemistry. So all of this CO2 that our oceans are absorbing and, mm -hmm. and you know, really being very helpful about slowing down the rate of climate change, once the CO2 enters the ocean, there is what we call inorganic carbon chemistry that happens. And as a result of that, the CO2 reacts with water and it breaks down into acidic atoms, molecules. Basically the result of too much CO2 going into the water. Exactly. So we measure this in terms of pH. And so right. we can see that the pH of our global oceans is going down. So we're getting more acidic. And the reason why this is important and why it matters to us is that there are organisms in the oceans. They built their shells out of calcium carbonate. So like if you think of like the white cliffs of Dover, that is just all 
dead calcium carbonate organisms right. stacked on top of each other. So we're talking like calcium here. And as these organisms form their shells or as they build corals, it, it's harder to do that chemistry in a more acidic environment. So it's becoming increasingly difficult for these organisms to build their shells and to reproduce. And so in that way, ocean acidification really weakens our coral reefs and makes it harder for sea life to grow. Well, does that mean that we won't get as many or as much shrimp or other shellfish that we are accustomed to? I think we're still trying to learn how, how it will affect populations of shellfish, but I do know that, say, shellfish farmers in Washington State, for example, are starting to already observe the impacts of ocean acidification on their, uh, on their farm operations. Okay. Annika, do, do any of you all's groups do any work on uh, acidification from the standpoint of connecting it with health impacts? Well, many of our researchers are involved in understanding the conditions under which harmful algal blooms thrive and produce toxic chemicals. And some of the conditions they're studying include, you know, temperature, acidification, and salinity, and just trying to understand the chemistry of our oceans change. What does that mean in terms of the species of algae that dominate? and the rate at which they form and disperse toxins that could be harmful to other wildlife and humans. We've talked about a lot of uh, issues or problems with our ocean, and it's probably not fair of me to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway, and that <laughs> is maybe to rank them or say, so what is the one that is most impactful or that we should be most concerned about as it relates to health? That's the question, and now we're going to go to break. <laughs> and, and, and so we'll start in on it right after we come back. Thank you. We want to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DYI classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. And specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on the problems with our oceans. And we are with two experts who are really helping us to become smarter, but most of all, they, they, I, I think they've already impressed upon us the enormous and often overlooked benefit of our oceans to our, every, our everyday lives and our health. We just don't think about it. Just think they're going to be there all the time doing well because they've always been but there are some challenges we need to be concerned about. And before the break, Annika was just about to talk to us a little bit about what she thought or what their experience has been is perhaps the most impactful 
uh, of our oceans problems on our health? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. And of course, my answer is going to be a little bit biased based on the amount of time I spend thinking about you know, the exposures that we get um, from our environment. So um, of course, my answer is going to be um, you know, the, the chemical and natural exposures. But I will add that it really, it, it's hard to say what's the most impactful because it's such an individualized or community-based question. It's very specific to the region and an individual's relationship with the ocean. So you have occupational exposures or recreational seasonal exposures, and you have long-term residents. Um, in some cases, you have elderly long-term residents or elderly half-time residents that live in coastal areas. And so it really, it, it honestly kind of depends. And all of that is also still an exposure point of view. I think what's also telling is, you know, the most recent report that there will be a rise in ocean height by up to a foot before we even get to 2050 um, just calls into spotlight all of the issues that we've already talked about today. Um, the fact that as climate change ramps up, so too accelerates the decline of our oceans to the detriment of our own health. You know, the easiest answer would be climate change is the, is the biggest problem facing oceans. Um, but I really do think it's, it's pretty individual. So there, there are a lot of considerations. <laughs> I know. So and I, as I mentioned, as I prefaced yeah. that, I know it was unfair. Uh, but everybody, you, you, when you're involved, you, you know, on a daily basis, researching, looking at other organizations and, and helping them with their research, you do come in, in contact with a lot more than the rest of us. But I, I appreciate your information there. Michelle, I want to ask you, though, is, is to talk to us a little bit about the economic impact of some of the major ocean problems that we're seeing. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, I would say that in terms of economic impact, and I'm mostly thinking in the context of climate change because that's just what I work on a lot. But I'd say it really depends on like impacts for whom and where, uh, as Anika already pointed out. And uh, if we think about fisheries um, in the in the global oceans, it's really going to be especially people who already live in warm places, uh, small-scale fishers who are really uh, closely tied to our ocean environment, who are going to be economically impacted um, by climate change, um, as well as people who live on the coast and whose um, homes or infrastructure may be destroyed or uh, damaged by storms and sea level rise. And in some places, we might actually see large-scale displacement as a result of climate change. So there's many countries, especially in the Pacific Ocean and in the Caribbean, where people, um, it's going to become increasingly difficult to live as the climate warms. So that's massive economic change. Um, but then I think climate change for some people is going to offer opportunities, right? So there is there is moving fish stocks uh, as a result of warming oceans, and they'll likely move to places where it's currently colder, so north. We also see that the Arctic Sea is opening up with sea ice melting. So there is all sorts of people chomping at the bit, is that the expression, to sail across the Arctic Sea or to drill it for oil, which is a little bit ironic, perhaps. So so I guess there's there's lots of opportunities for some people. And, and perhaps the biggest question is how are we going to make sure that those opportunities are distributed equally and that those opportunities that arise do not further harm our oceans and our planet. And you mentioned moving fish stocks. I guess, you know, most areas, well, like here in central Texas, uh, north central Texas, it's like rivers and ponds, and I think they do catfish. But you're saying the, the, the fish that typically harvested in certain areas of the country, that will move to other areas of the country. 
Exactly. So I think we already see this along the, the eastern shores with the lobsters just show, slowly making their way north. And it really has big implications for people who've traditionally depended on lobster fishing or, you know, it's a really big cultural thing. And what about the salmon? Yeah, I was going to ask about the salmon over on the, on the uh, northwest coast. Yeah, this, I mean, salmon are just challenging altogether because yeah. they have both a sort of river and an ocean life stage. And oh, okay. all sorts of stuff have, is happening in our rivers, like climate change, but also just pollution and dams. So salmon are really getting it from all sides. But might they move to another place where they typically have not been? That's what I'm trying to say is that, you know, suddenly uh, certain regions of the country will find themselves with an abundance of fish that they weren't accustomed to regionally. Yeah, and like the Arctic is also an interesting example. Like in Alaska, I think the disappearing sea ice has, I think, led to less pollock and more halibut or the other way around. (laughs) I might mix my species up, but you know, these are pretty big changes. Indeed, they will become more pronounced is what I hear you saying. Uh, So I want to go back to Annika, though, and look at how are you seeing COVID has affected our oceans and our ocean health? Is there any connection? What is the connection? I know there has to be. Well, I mean, from from a research perspective, since I'm at the National Institutes of Health, it was really unfortunate to see a a large period of time where research um, had to just kind of cease. Um, and then ran back up again. Um, so that's kind of my practical answer to that. But reflecting back on the last two years, um, one thing I think about is how COVID really shined a spotlight on problems such as unequal access to healthcare, the importance of protecting the health of frontline workers. Many of these issues are crucial for oceans and human health as well. There are important issues of environmental justice when it comes to coastal and also Great Lakes communities. Um, and those whose occupation depend on the ocean, um, enduring health and economic consequences of polluted or unsafe water in kind of an unequal way. So uh, it's my hope that any social awareness COVID has raised would in turn continue to extend to ocean health and climate change as well, since um, there's, there are a lot of parallels to be seen. I think so. Usually we, whenever we're looking at any of these issues, we like to be able to connect the dots for our listeners as to how and why it will affect them, even if they are not part of those vulnerable classes. And I think you made a good case for that just when you were explaining a lot of those workers. uh, It's going to affect the seafood they get, the quality, the quantity, and all of that. So I, I, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to discuss that. Now, Michelle, from where you sit, from your perch in Northern California, how are you seeing COVID has affected our oceans and our ocean health. Also, too, any briefly, any emerging issues, emerging uh, problems facing our ocean. Yeah, so on the COVID, but there's a lot of research that's been coming out that has looked at how COVID and related measures have impacted uh, seafood supply chain. So in many places, um, you know, trade was disrupted. And so places where people would traditionally set their fish were not an option anymore. Um, we've also seen at some point there were um, fish fishery workers who were just stuck on boats because they were not allowed to come into the country because they were taking COVID measures, right? Remember when all the cruise ships were quarantining, like th- that kind of thing. We never so, told us about that. We never knew that there were uh, workers or fishermen stuck out on fishing boats. We just knew about the cruise ship people. <laughs> right, exactly. And the boats and airports, right? Yeah, so fishery workers too. So, and, and I think we're still sort of figuring out what are the things that held up and lasted during COVID and where, where were the breaking points? And, and that was really different from country to country. In terms of 
emerging issues. I'd say that in, in a lot of discussions right now, the oceans are really seen as this sort of like new frontier of exploration and possibility. Um, people are talking, like including around climate change. So it's like we can have renewable energy on the ocean or we can have more shipping or mining. And there's like all this economic opportunity. And I think there is a there is a challenge looming there that it might exclude some people from accessing the benefits that the oceans provide. Um, if like they become more private space, certain people might not be able to fish or go to the beach or enjoy all of the other benefits. Yeah, it moves back to when you mentioned earlier about, I guess, laws of the ocean. You know, who owns it? Who has authority to design or dictate who benefits? And the other thing, too, I think perhaps when they do or consider any project that involves the ocean, they need to do an environmental uh, impact assessment there big time. Because, you know, it's, it's the history of, of development. It's the history of our, of our world. We progress. We do something new, bigger, better, faster. And everybody loved it. And then some years, sometimes it's just a few years. Sometimes it's a lot of years. In the future, we discover all the unintended consequences that had we talked about it or just knew it up front, we could have just very easily worked around it makes a difference. Last thing for both of you all, we just have one minute to go. Start with Michelle and then Annika. What does it take to be a good steward and how can everyday individuals, what can they do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions? Because it's going to maybe sound a little bit zany, but the one thing that I really love about our oceans is that they connect us all, right? If I tip, dip my toes in the water in, in Texas or in California, someone in India may be dipping their toes in the same water. So for me, oceans are just an invitation to remember that. We live on a shared planet and to, to sort of be, be good stewards of our shared environment. Thank you so much for reminding us all of that. That is a great point. Thank you. And Annika, 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the only other thing to add is just doing your best to be a responsible consumer or citizen of the world um, and recycle in the best way you have available. As we mentioned earlier, 80% of marine pollution comes from land-based sources. I mean, a lot of the problems are bigger than what we contribute. Um, but I guess just be doing your best to um, read up on it and spread the word. Um, every little action helps. Thank you. And thank both of you all. You really have made us much smarter and just, I think, more aware of the benefit and the bigness in our dependency on that ocean as you some people have now begun to call it the blue planet. So we have been today with Dr. Annika Zierlinger with the National Institute of uh, Environmental Health Sciences and Dr. Michelle Titular. And she is with Stanford University at Stanford's Center for Oceans Solutions. Thank you all. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day, like yourself. And while each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, they all add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you. And join us again next week for more on waters, oceans, and waterways as we focus in on urban waters and waterways. Thank you.